you remember two weeks ago, I said that for the next few weeks, we would be using this image of a banquet. Two weeks ago, we heard that the entrance to this banquet is a narrow gate. You might remember that the Lord says that many will try to go through it, but many are not strong enough. It's difficult to get through. Last Sunday, we heard what happens when we think either too much or too little of ourselves, and we try to take the wrong seat at table. So while today's gospel doesn't mention a banquet by name, we can still use that image when we look at today's readings and what they say about heaven as that banquet. So when we look at heaven as a banquet throughout the Bible, what we see is it's described as a dinner meal, and there's a very specific reason for that. And Pope St. Gregory gives us the reason. He said, God's meal is not called a lunch, but a dinner, because after lunch, dinner is still to come, whereas after dinner, there is no remaining meal. So what's really neat is that we can see the progression of meals in the Bible. If you notice back in Genesis, we had this reading a few weeks ago, the priest king Melchizedek offers bread and wine at the very beginning of God's covenant with Abraham. So if you want to call that your breakfast meal, that's, that's that one right there. And then the Israelites continue to offer bread and wine as part of their Passover celebration. There's your lunch meal in Scripture. And if that's lunch, then that means there's still one more meal, and that's dinner. So here's the thing about this dinner meal. It comes in two courses. The first course is what we're celebrating here today, and that's the Eucharist. The Eucharist is the appetizer for the main course, and we see this reflected in the language of the church. And perhaps the most beautiful description is found in St. Thomas's hymn, O Sacrum Convivium, and I'll read the text of that. O sacred banquet in which Christ is received, the memory of his passion is renewed, the mind is filled with grace, and the pledge of future glory is given to us. A pledge of future glory is given to us. So this begs a question. What is this future glory? So that brings us to the main course of the dinner. That future glory is eternal life with God. So you see the appetizer and the main course, they're so intimately connected because in both we receive the fullness of God's divinity. But while we receive that divinity in both courses, the experience of that receiving of the divinity is more full in the main course. The appetizer is just the teaser. The Eucharist is only the foreshadowing. The main course is the full reception of God's divinity. So now that we've laid out this image, we can turn to today's readings, and they tell us of the cost of entering that banquet. So we talked about what is this banquet? This banquet is heaven. What's it like? So now we're talking about how do we get there? What's the price of admission, if you will? And so Jesus lays out three conditions for entering the banquet, and he uses this phrase repeatedly. He says, cannot be my disciple. He uses that three times. And all three of these conditions must be met. You can't have two out of the three. You can't have two and a half out of the three. You have to have all three. So the first condition Jesus says is this. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, you might feel a bit uncomfortable with the word hate in that statement. And if you do, it's okay, I do as well. But right here is where we need to take into account 
the thing that we call literary devices. And that's what this word hate is used as. It's a literary device. It's used as a hyperbole here. And we see this Jewish hyperbole used throughout the Old Testament as well. And this hyperbole simply means preference, to prefer one thing to another. And so Jesus is saying that we must prefer him more than our families and more than ourselves. So obviously we should still love our family, and that's mentioned in the commandments. We have the commandment to love father and mother. So to illustrate this, uh, this preference, this hyperbole of preference, I'd like to share something that was once shared with me by a married couple. The man said, my wife loves Jesus more than she loves me, and I'm okay with that. And then I love Jesus more than I love my wife, and she's okay with that too. So you see, that's what we mean by maintaining that love in the family, but also having a preference for Christ. So then we have the second condition, and that second condition is that a disciple must carry their own cross. So this condition requires us to be capable of self-sacrifice because that's what this cross was. It was a case of self-sacrifice to the point of losing one's life. So think about that for a second. Losing one's life, self-sacrifice. There are many ways we can give of ourselves. And some of these are very simple, but the cross itself was an act of death first and foremost. The cross was an instrument of execution, of suffering. Jesus died on the cross. So if Jesus is asking us to carry our cross, then we have to ask ourselves, how willing am I to die for my faith and to die for the ones that I love? It's not an easy question, and this is why Jesus gives us two parables. And what both of these parables have in common, he's talking about the building of the tower or whether or not you can conquer an army with enough troops. He's giving us these parables because they both require the need for uh, deliberation. They have this need for deliberation. And the reason is because the decision to follow Christ is not one to be made lightly. We have to remember, Jesus was mocked. He was laughed at. He was abandoned and he was denied by his best friend. So if you jump into the Christian life without thinking about that kind of following of Christ, mock that, ridicule, death, abandonment, then it's very easy, I can almost guarantee, that you're gonna be shaken a little bit. It's very difficult if we don't ponder what that means to pick up the cross, to look at what Jesus did and to follow that same path. But it's very important that we remember a very um, old truth, and this is a truth from the Carthusian order. The Carthusian motto is this, the cross is steady while the world is turning. The cross is steady while the world is turning. The world's turning a lot nowadays. I think we're seeing a lot of change. But the one thing that remains constant is the sacrifice of the cross and what happens afterwards, the resurrection. So if we embrace the cross, then we can also embrace the resurrection. By picking up and carrying the cross, we're able to receive that resurrection. And so this leaves us with the third condition, and this one is equally difficult. And this is what Jesus says. Every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. So I have to say first and foremost that possession in and of itself is not a bad thing. What Jesus is trying to get us to cast off is our attachment to possessions, our attachment to the material. And so in reality, the thing is, possession's an illusion. 
we don't really own anything because we never created anything. Only God truly creates. And so God owns everything. Everything belongs to God. So I'd like to use a story to show what I mean. So an atheist tells God, we have science, we have medicine, we can clone animals, we can do all these amazing things. We simply just don't need you anymore. And so God invites the atheist to a challenge, to create a bird out of dirt. So God picks up a pile of dirt, he molds it into the shape of a bird, he breathes life into it, and then the atheist tries to do the same. He says, all right, that's easy enough, I can do that. So he goes to pick up some dirt, and God stops him, and he says, uh, 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 you have to make your own dirt first. So the point of all three conditions is this. If we want to enter the heavenly banquet, we have to prefer nothing else to Christ. To prefer nothing else to Christ. So if this narrow gate has any shape, we can say that it probably has the shape of a cross. We have to let go of everything that stops us from picking up that cross because in the end, God wants to take those crosses from us. It's a great grace that God wants to say, you've carried this for so long and I want to, I want to help you carry it and then eventually take it from you. Kind of like Simon of Cyrene did for me when we're looking at that perspective of Jesus. So remember two weeks ago also, I said the Christian life is not checking off boxes on a checklist. We can't hand God that checklist at the end and say, look at all these accomplishments I've done. But the thing is, there is a price of admission into heaven. There's a price of admission to this heavenly banquet, and that price is the cross we carry. That second condition, you must carry my cross, otherwise you cannot be my disciple. Because in the end, we exchange that cross for the crown of glory. That, remember, we say that, that pledge of future glory. That's what we're exchanging that cross for. And we hear this so beautifully in one of the verses of the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. If you've never heard this hymn, I really encourage you to look up the full text. But this is one of the last stanzas. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown?